Uh, as we are continuing on with our sermon series, looking at uh, discipleship as we are teaching it, and, and there are somewhere in the sanctuary a whole bunch of handouts with the graph on it that I'm sure did not make it into the bulletin. So if you got one, you're ahead of the game. If you don't have one, feel free to search around and you'll find it sooner or later. Now, in it, though, you'll see that we talk about identities, values, and practices. And we've gone through our identity as loved and living. Identity being uh, that as Christ has come into the world, he has given us a new identity. And that is where we begin in our understanding of discipleship. A disciple is not defined by what they do, but a disciple is defined by what Christ says about them. And as baptized children of God, Christ says about you that you are loved and you are now living. You have been brought to a new life. Today we begin to talk about values. A few weeks ago, I was listening to an interview of uh, Paul Schrader and um, uh, Ethan Hawke. And they have a new movie out that I think is already probably out of the theaters called First Reformed about a pastor that's struggling. So it kind of spoke to me a little bit. And I, I, I saw that the interview was happening, so I wanted to, to chime in and listen to it. And as they were speaking, the interviewer asked them about their own Christianity. As both men were people who were raised in the faith, left it, and came back. And as they, uh, they were explaining about their, their uh, Christian life, the interviewer asked, well, are you active? Do you go to church? And um, both of them answered yes. And, and she asked, why? The interviewer asked, why did you go to church? And their answer kind of surprised me quite a bit. What, uh, uh, the writer, Paul, answered first and said that uh, he goes to church uh, not to walk away feeling like he was bored, but he goes to church to actually be bored. Which, if that's our line of measurement, <laughs> we're okay. We're doing all right, I, I think, here. We're fine. Um, and then and, and Ethan Hawke responded to something very similar, that it was a time that was different from all the rest of his week. It was quiet. Both of them attended what they tried to explain as a more traditional church. They called it a devotional thing. And so there was a lot of boredom and quiet that was part of it. And they said that this was great because it gave them time to sit and organize the week ahead. Now, I, let's not cast judgments because the practical Lutheran in me thought, well, that's a great idea. <laughs> I, could, I could probably spend my time doing that. But unfortunately, as I thought about those answers and was kind of surprised to hear them, wonder how often is that the truth for us when it comes to worship? How often is it that we actually struggle with our understanding of worship? And where does it actually fit into our lives? And maybe it is something that, that sets apart our time from the rest of the week. Uh, my wife and I were talking several months ago and realizing that a lot of the musicians we listened to started off in the church. And that really, if you do not go to church, you don't have the opportunity to hear live music every week. And you don't have the opportunity to cultivate that skill. And so many musicians come out of the church background. But is there more to it than just that, than 
building ourselves up, then honing in our skills of music abilities. I mean, after all, you are fantastic singers. What is worship about? And why are we here? And where does it fit into our understanding of life as a disciple? Values. Values are something that we use to project and gauge the direction that we want to see the world go. It is the things that we hold most dear, that we use as the lenses to see the world and to dictate how we will spend our time, use our resources, figure out who we are. We've already decided that the Lord has spoken to us about loved and living, but what does that now mean for the world that is around us? Values is the way that we set in the world those things. And so to come up with the way that the world actually uses its time and its talents and, and the way that it looks to project what does it want to see in the future, I think over the last summer... I have come to decide that the value that is used by the world is in one simple question. What about me? What about me? We've already talked about how we use many different things to describe ourselves when we are in the flesh. We use our work. We use our loves. We use all these things that we dedicate time to. But then how is it that you make decisions in your life? What is it that you use as your starting point? And it seems to me that as time goes on and as our world stays in the flesh that it is, that it uses the simple question, what about me? How many times when we approach the political world and we go to the ballot box, that the question we are asking is, who cares about me? What does this person say about me? How many times when you are making decisions about your finances and you're planning your dreams and your visions for the future, that at the center of that is the question, what about me? Now, at the age of 35, I've realized that we are behind the game in retirement, and that question is starting to haunt me a little bit. What about me in the future? And my wife, I suppose. How many times, as you even walk into this place, or even as you sit down into your chair to begin your worship, that as you start your songs and you make the sign of your baptism, that you are actually wondering in this service, what about me? Or as we go through a building project. Or as you start to gauge your time for the week. Or as you make the decisions for your family and their future, their schooling, their place in life, their bedrooms. What about me? How many times when you've looked at your week 
and you saw the way that all of your time is spent doing, going here to there and ripped and taken apart, that you ask the question, what about me? The radicalness of Christ and his message is that he sets us free from asking that question. Because every single part of me, every single part of you has already been spoken for. Every hour, every second of your life is one that has already been cast into this place of love and to life. There is not a moment that goes by that the Lord has already not thought of you. He has already not been there before you have been there. He has already not begun. The Lord has already taken care of me, of you. Paul, in Philippians 3, tries to draw a line between our understanding and the world's. That we are not of the flesh, but rather we are the new circumcised. Therefore, we worship God in the glory of Christ Jesus. The phrase that comes out of that in our our reading in Philippians chapter 3, which I did not pull out out of here yet, starts in this way, For we are the real circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the flesh. And so to ask such a question like that is to put confidence in the flesh, is to begin there in the flesh, to be worried and wonder what about me is to ask just about myself, is to forget the two greatest commandments that have come to us. To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. But if our value is asking in the question, what about me? Who is it that we love primarily in the world? Feel free to answer. It's myself. And the world must revolve around that. These are the people that Paul considers the evildoers to step away from. The problem we make in this world today is that we assume Paul was speaking to some other culture that had nothing to do with ours. But believe it or not, he was talking to a culture that was filled with paganism and idols. That was based entirely on that question, what about me? Never before, probably since that time, have we been so close to the culture that Paul was talking to. And so as he commands and he talks to the Christians of that time and that place, consider yourselves away from that flesh. For you are the new circumcision. You are the ones who worship the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in The flesh. In Colossians 3, he tells us as we go forward, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things 
of the earth. As I sit down to do premarital counseling with couples, the uh, base of the text that I use is Colossians 3. And it says, "If, If since we have been raised to a new life, let us follow our Christ. Let us set our minds on the things above and not on the things of earth. Because there, as we set our minds on Christ, we find our identity and our place in Him there, we find that our values in this world have changed. The question that we enter into marriage with is not, what about me? The question we enter into our relationships with is not, what about me? The question that we enter into our community of faith with is not, what about me? And if that is the case, then what is it? We like to think of our time of worship just being this hour, or if Marcus is preaching, this hour and a half. But we understand that worship is actually all of our life outside of this place. That worship is in the places that we bring glory to God. That worship is the ways in which we are able to praise our Lord. Worship is the time in which we are actually able to be the message bearers in this world. So our calling, our vocations, our repentance, our devotion, all these practices that come after our values, all flow from the value that God has given us of worship. Because that is what he has envisioned for this place. That is what he has envisioned for this world. The will of God is that all men come to know him and to give him praise that all find their salvation in Christ and they worship Him accordingly. As Jesus tells the woman at the well, someone who is so far outside of the faith and different, there is a time coming when we will worship in spirit and truth. And the first person to do that after He said that is the woman at the well because she leaves there running to the village to say, the Christ has come. The Lord has called us to worship Him. He has set out for the world to follow in that steps, to worship and to give praise and adoration to Christ because there we find our salvation. There we find the One who has already thought of us. The One who has already asked the question, what about you? The One who has already gone in all those places that we are to go. And so now we value and we set out worship. Whenever I think of this actual value and what it means to make your decisions by that accordingly, I think of a man by the name of Dimitri. Now, uh, Dimitri, probably as you have guessed by his name, was a Russian immigrant. 
And he found himself smack dab in the middle of Nebraska for some reason. I think he might have gotten lost. Uh, Dimitri spent all of his time for his work cleaning the bathrooms of the men's dormitories at Concordia, Nebraska. And, and he was a man about my size, and it was a man that I never saw, saw frown. And as you would enter into the bathroom, as he was cleaning up probably some of the most disgusting things the world has ever created, he would greet you, he would say hello, he would remember your name. And if you are someone who, who went to college or went away for it, you know the ways in which sometimes you can feel lost, you can feel alone, you can feel homesick. But every time I saw Dimitri, all of those things went away. Now, Dimitri also was a highly educated man, more so than I was. And he probably, over time, could have been into something different. So my friend uh, asked him one time, why, why was it that he stuck with this job for so long? Or as only so many of us would stick around with cleaning bathrooms for only so long. I, I don't even do it for our house very often. But Dimitri, Dimitri said, he did it. Because all of these men that he saw coming into the bathrooms and all these men that he saw on the floors... He could talk to, and he could smile at, and he could share the love of God with. This is an extraordinary example, but one that hits to the heart of things. If he had asked the question, what about me, he could have been in a very different situation. But if he had taken on the things of God above, he was able to see the place in which he was needed. The place that he was able to worship God with every movement of his hand and every voice that he could speak. It carried over not just into his Sunday mornings where he would sing at St. John's Lutheran, but into his day-to-day -day as he greeted and he met with people. To where some of the most hardened of us, the most oppressed, the most hurt, could still walk away knowing that there really was a God because of Dimitri. If we stop asking such questions and we take on the things above, we remember the identity that our God has given us, how will it change your voice in this world? Knowing that every word that you speak and every action of your hand not only is a worship to God, but can lead others to worship Him. How will it change? It can change our decisions at work. To not just be about our success, but for those around us. It can look at the restrictions and the laws of this world and not hate them, but actually obey them. It can cause us to do the things that we don't want to do, to be obedient to those that we don't want to be obedient towards. And it can force us, it can move us in such a way to love the unlovable. To make our marriages not about ourselves. To make our parenting about our children. 
to building relationships with the purpose of bringing in God and Christ and sharing those words with others. We are the new circumcision. We worship by the Spirit of God and bring glory to Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Therefore, we do not ask the questions of the flesh, but we see ourselves as those that are loved and living in this world, and we worship God accordingly. Amen? Amen.